Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. (laughs) Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. Today I want to introduce you to someone who has spent many years working on her specialty, then has had to very quickly learn a different set of skills for running a business. Physiotherapist Emily Rigler became director of Carlton Physiotherapy Centre when she was about to have kids, because why not do both, hey? Although still practising, she now has a whole lot of other demands, like cash flow, hiring processes and marketing goals. Perhaps you've been in the same boat. You're someone who's a specialist but now has to run a business. I hope this chat helps with some practical tips and some inspiration. Hey Emily, welcome to Tea with the Queen. Thank you. What sparked your interest in physiotherapy? Was it something that you always wanted to do? I think I've probably had an interest in the human body and how it works from a very young age. So I remember when I was a kid, one of the favorite, my favorite books that I had was a little children's atlas that had pictures of all the muscles and bones in it that I absolutely loved. I always loved a good medical drama. <laughs> In my teenage years. Like Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Yeah, Grey's was more in my, um, once I was studying, but um, ER, I was an absolute ER addict and Silent Witness, which is more like pathology, like a um, medical investigator type person. But I never thought I could get the marks nor that I really wanted to be a doctor and nursing just didn't quite interest me but I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then one day, one of my friends in high school at the start of year 12 kind of said, well, what about physiotherapy? And I'd been to see physios, but I'd never really considered doing it before. And I thought, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And uh, that was in 2001. Wowzers. (laughs) So that was a good 22 years ago and I still want to be, still want to be a physio. So. Amazing. That's amazing. It's a good, good suggestion. Great suggestion. Have you gone back to thank that person for their suggestion? Because I'm not in contact with her anymore. You so need to, you so need to like find her and say, (laughs) Hey, you changed the course of my life. (laughs) Do people at dinner parties or wherever pest you with advice on sore joints and back pains? (laughs) There was a phase of life, like in my younger going out years where I just wouldn't tell anyone what I wanted to do because it turned into a really good pickup line for people to like ask for a massage. So there was a period of my life where I just never told anyone when I was out what I did. I actually find, so obviously family will ask quite a lot, but I actually find it's more my physio friends who are no longer physios anymore who are the people who most ask for advice. Wow. That's so yeah. strange. Do you give it to them or do you like don't get a physio? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, generic vi- advice only. You do need to be a bit careful about the 
you know, being responsible for things when you haven't followed the proper processes of documentation and things like that. But general advice stuff, I'm generally pretty happy for people that I know well and I have a bit of an idea about what's going on to give them a bit of assistance. Yeah. A lot of medical professionals, well, most, I suppose, that don't work for the public system, will one day run their own practice on their own or with partners or whatever it is. Was that always in the back of your mind when you started training as a physio or did that come later? Way, way later. So when I started studying, I wanted to be a the sort of physio that would be working in hospitals pretty much my whole career. Okay. I really fell into owning a business, if uh, <laughs> that is possible. Okay. After I'd been working for about four years, I did my postgraduate master's in musculoskeletal physiotherapy. So that's kind of the you know, back pain, neck pain, knee pain type stuff that we treat in private practices. And I finished that and didn't have a job and was interviewing for jobs that a lot of them just felt like they were never going to be as intellectually stimulating as the jobs that I'd had before I did my master's because I'd had a really awesome job working in multi-trauma rehab, which is like car accident, head injury, really awful injuries where you have huge impacts on people's lives in helping rehab them. And going back to the less complex physio didn't necessarily light the fire within very much. And then I got a phone call one day from the person who had run my master's program that I did, seeing if I was interested in working for him a few days a week, which was really an opportunity that I couldn't, I didn't feel like it was sensible to turn that opportunity down. And I was like, I'll just work out what I do with the rest of my time. So that originally started as two mornings a week. And by the time I started, he had a second person who was pregnant. So it turned into about kind of three days a week of work. And then I ended up buying the practice off this person 10 years after I'd started working for him pretty much. And so here I am owning a practice four years later. That's a long time him baking, <laughs> cooking you, isn't it? It's like 10 yes. years, grab you and then, you know, make sure that groom you into the business yeah. owner that he wants you to be and then sells <laughs> you the business. <laughs> yes. It's a good long-term plan on his part, I reckon. Smart, smart. I like it. Yeah. How did you know about the business side of things? Very rapid trial by fire after I'd purchased the business. <laughs> That's always the way, yes. Yeah. So it sounded like a great idea. I was lucky enough to have a good friend who was able to do some of the early stage business plan type stuff with me to be able to tell me I wasn't a complete fool for thinking it was possible to do. I feel like it's still a bit of a trial by fire because I bought the business in the middle of 2019, was still finishing off my thesis project for my master's of clinical education because I'm crazy and went back and did a second master's degree after I'd had a child. And so by January, so seven months into owning a business, I was submitting a thesis, was three and a half months pregnant and there was COVID on the horizon. And we've just been surviving ever since really. (laughs) 
well, you say that, but I feel like over this year you've kind of clicked into thriving. But anyway, yes, <laughs> yeah. I can see why yes. you would feel that way. Yes. So you're a mum. You've got how many kitties do you have now? I've got two kids. Okay. And how old are they now? Uh, five and a half and three. So definitely still in the thick of things. You really are still in the thick of things. <laughs> Even when I talk to you, I'm like, oh, bless. Yes. She's got kids like pouring at the phone. And <laughs> Tell me, what does it feel like to be a business owner, like almost a brand new business owner, also have kids doing the juggle, the mum juggle, the family juggle? How does it feel for you on a day-to-day basis? Good question. Definitely different answer now versus at the start of the year. Yeah. So tell us about the difference. Overwhelm. So there's a lot of feeling like there's a lot of things to do. And there are definitely weeks where I feel like I'm working out of my urgent, important corner of life and that there's no space for anything else. There's been less of that across the year, but I feel like I get I get thrown back into that fairly easily just because I've spent so much time there. It's easy to fall back into that, isn't it, too? Yes, yes. Yeah. Very bad habit, <laughs> I think is actually the case. But, yeah, I think there's definitely a degree of there's a lot of different hats and it's making those hats fit in a way that means that I can – as much as possible be where I need to be at the right time. And then it's more about making sure that I've got that when I'm at work, I'm doing business stuff and where is that protected time for that so that I can then feel less overwhelmed by that, which means that I can be more present when I'm home with my kids. At the same time, I'm always really aware of the fact that one of the reasons that buying the business was a really good idea for us was to be able to give me some of the flexibility in my clinical hours in that I can do, I shouldn't, but I can do business work at any time of the day if I need to. Whereas you can't be treating patients at nine o'clock at night if everything's gone wrong and you haven't had a chance to do something. So if I want to go and volunteer for my son's school swimming, I can. That I just would not have been able to do that without compromising my income before I owned the business. So I often remind myself that some of what I've gained is not actually of financial benefit. It's the fact that I'm able to be doing the school drop-offs and being there to do those extra things that just like, you know, the excitement on your kid's face when you rock up at school to be able to see a school parade or something has more value at times than the the dollars that are involved in the process. Totally. I get that. What's been your favourite part about owning a business? <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> there are no favourites, Emma. <laughs> no, no. It's all work. Like it's still a job. But I think I like the idea that I have the ability to create something that's my own vision. Like there's always little spot fires that you need to be putting out and stuff, but it like at the centre of that is that I have my own set of values as a as a physio and as a person and I have the skill set to be able to share that with other physios as well as with other with patients and that the more I can share with other physios, the more people can get good physiotherapy care and that that's a it's almost a bigger than me thing with that and I like the fact that there's the capacity to kind of hold that at the core of what I'm doing and keep moving towards that. Yeah, that's delightful. One of the things that I've noticed about you, Ems, since we've been working together for the year is 
when you don't understand something, you go like deep with it to understand it. Like I think about our long conversations about Google ads and Facebook ads (laughs) and the analytics. And what I love is that you're like, if I don't understand it, you rip the top off and you dive deep. And then I'm like, what'd you find? You're like, I found all this stuff out. Like that's an incredible, I mean, you can go down rabbit holes too, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. There there are some definite rabbit rabbit holes in my life that probably didn't need to be dug. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that going deep and figuring out what the heck's going on, how to improve it. We talked a lot about, you know, how we get, and we'll talk about your clinic in a minute, but how to get the guys up to seeing as many patients as possible, et cetera, et cetera, to keep them full and uh, fulfilled. And I love the grit and resilience that you've shown this year, just to do a deep dive and find out what that is going on with this particular thing, uh, does that come natural to you? Are you genuinely just curious as an individual or are you like, I want to nail this thing? Uh, it's curiosity as much as anything, I think. I don't like not understanding things. <laughs> My okay. perfectionist tendencies. So I don't, I'm not one to just be told something and take it on face value. I like to know that I've actually... I trust my own internal analysis of things more so than I'll often trust other people's, which isn't always a useful thing, like it's pros and cons. But for me, if there's something that I see and I'm like, this just doesn't quite, I'm like, I don't understand. No, if you're looking at profit margins, which is mostly what I'm looking at, no, it's like, no, why is what I'm looking at on the paper not lining up with what I think I'm doing? And for me, that does come back to numbers most of the time. But I've always been like that. Like, you know, I grew up in a family of scientists. So I grew up in a very analytical environment and a very kind of scientific look at the facts, take the emotion out of things environment. But like parenting, I've deep dived like you would not believe on cloth nappies, on baby led weaning versus feeding purees on no attachment style parenting versus other things like if i can deep dive on anything if my brain wants to yeah and i think as when we get to become adults we become less curious and i was reflecting on this exact thing the other day because as a kid i used to like pull stuff apart all the time and figure out how it worked and i in grade 10 told my father that I wanted to be a mechanic and he said over my dead body. So that kind of sucked. But I always had that genuine curiosity, right? And on the weekend, I walked into my daughter's room, Evie, you know who Evie is, and she was crying in her bed. I'm like, what's up, babe? And she's like, I pulled the pen apart to see how it all worked and now I can't put it back together and now I've broken it because I was a bit rough with it. And I was like, oh, this is me as a child. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like you seeing your kids be a mini version. Yeah, I know. I was like, well, you know what? I love that you were curious enough to pull it apart and, yes, you busted it, but what did you learn? And she told me all the things and I'm like, well done. You know, like we just have to encourage that with our kids. But it was just hilarious to me that just how we're shaped just comes to roost, home to roost, doesn't it? It's like, Oh, we've come from that environment. Hey, tell me about Carlton Physiotherapy Centre. That's what your business is called. How many are employed and how do you juggle both? We've talked about being a boss but also practising as a physio, the clinical stuff as well. So the business itself, as because I bought it off someone else, has been around since 1976. So 
really kind of strong history, but we're also quite an old school physio clinic in that we're in an old, beautiful old house rather than being in like smick shiny modern offices. Yeah. Um, but I it's love character. Victorian houses. So it, it gives us character and like it, it feels quite homey. And I guess that's kind of the vibe I want to create for my patients is that they can be comfortable there and that where that, no, the, the aim is that where we have clients who we know well enough so that they know that we'll know what's going on if something goes wrong or that they don't even have to think about it. They're like, oh, no, no, I have patients who I've known for longer than I've known my husband <laughs> that I'm still treating. Like I have multiple patients who I treat. I'm like, oh, I think you've known me longer than like, no, the person who I had children with. <laughs> um, so you do create some really lovely, long-lasting relationships with people and I think that's what I love the most is that and that's something that's kind of carried on from the previous owner as well like he still has patients who he's been treating for like 40 years. So just for our audience so that they know you didn't just buy it he still works in the business with you which is unusual. Oh yes he's still he's also my landlord but um, (laughs) it's all very tied into each other but yes he still works in the clinic as much as he did before he sold it to me. We're in a growth period, but we're by the start of next year, we'll have the equivalent of three full-time physios working across five or six physios. So we've got a decent number of us now, which I love because it means that we can have a team culture. And I really feel like I've got like my team of physios that we we all love learning. We all love the deep diving. We all want to provide the best physiotherapy services that we can. Like I've got a a team of inquiring minds and that for me is like the first step of creating like the Carlton Physio moving forward for what we can do. Yeah, yeah. And I know that this year we've been working a lot on focusing on the business, focusing on the business stuff versus the clinical stuff. How do you balance both of those things? Um, It's really easy in the moment with the patients because being a physio is like stepping into a comfy pair of pants compared to doing the business owner stuff. It's a conversation. The way I am as a physio is I'm very much uh, talking, listening, finding out like that same deep diving on information that I do with other things I do with the patients. And so it's a real kind of fact-finding mission for me. And so that very much suits my personality type. And so I love the time that I spend with my patients. I do struggle doing the administrative side of things, the physio-administrative side of things, because when you're with a patient, it's easy to give a patient 100% of you in that moment. Like they're paying. I've always been acutely aware of the fact that people are paying to come and see me. And I think that when people are parting with their hard-earned dollars for a service from you, I feel very much a responsibility that they're getting as much of me that I can give them and that I should be giving an equal service to everyone. Like there's no no downtime after lunch where you're feeling a bit sleepy and you're not quite giving 100% because, no, the $100 that one person's paying is the same value as the $100 that someone else is paying and you have to make the most of that 
opportunity. And I think like even the the values of the business. So I spent like a year working out how I could make a word out of my values and it. You know, I came up with care. Ultimately what we do is we care and that, no, we have things underlying that. So that, that side of things is easy for me. Where it's hard is when there's lots of little small tasks to do and organising that within some of the bigger picture forward thinking type things of the business owner stuff. That's really where the challenge lies. How much, what percentage do you reckon you are practising as the physio and doing the boss thing? or working on the business from a percentage? In a perfect world where we don't have any staff off, which is never in the last three months, if we're fully staffed, I'd be doing six hours a week of face-to-face with patients. There's probably an hour's worth of admin to do alongside with that. So one day a week of patients and three days a week of business admin type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to be full soon. I mean, I want to talk about your hiring process because I know this year has been ups and downs with hiring for you. Oh my goodness. The stories have cracked me up, but what is your current hiring process? Maybe talk us through the last hire. (laughs) (laughs) The last hire was brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) We won't talk. The one before that was questionable. (laughs) This hire was brilliant. I think so. I decided I was going to advertise for a grad on the Sunday, put together myself a little web page with a video of me talking about you know, my vision for the business basically and what my focus is as a as a boss in terms of providing support and learning for physios regardless of where they are in their career and shared that with my networks that I have from my various different workplaces and different roles in committees for the Australian Physio Association and stuff and had done by, I think it was even on the Tuesday afternoon, I did a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon, I did a phone interview with someone, interviewed them on the Friday and by the next Thursday we had a signed contract. So I think it was like 10 days from advertising to offer and another couple of days of just working out the fine-tuning the contract side of things. But I was, pr- I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, you should be pretty <laughs> proud of that. But I also am, I can imagine people listening going, what, how do I do that? But just to give some context, why did you do it that way for that hire? <sighs> I did it that way because I have had my previous hiring experience especially doing a lot of thinking myself about visualising someone who I'd interviewed in the business before I'd kind of clarified some of the more value-based things. And so I very much wanted this process to be me expressing my values from the start so that I was only getting people applying who were interested in that sort of an environment and having some of the tougher discussions first via phone before I'd met the person. Because part of my deep diving brain is if I'm offering someone a job, I've probably pictured how the whole team fits together with them in the picture. And so some of the uh, sagas that arose from the previous hiring happened because I'd put those people into the business and worked out exactly how it would work. And then that was 
where they were coming from was clashing with that and I needed to get some of those clashes exposed earlier, which didn't exist with this person, but it made me be brave enough to have some of the conversations around money and hours and things like that before we even got to the face-to-face interview so that I was then comfortable that there wasn't going to be too much backwards and forwards happening after that next stage. Yeah, because when you've got a small team, one rotten egg ruins it for a lot of them, doesn't it? It's like, you know, like everyone's like your next hire has to be the best hire. Like you have to just keep choosing people that match your values and once you get the right people in, it hums, but when you've got the wrong person in, oh, it hurts. Yeah. And I think also that within the physiotherapy world there's a multiplying factor of that because there's also some of the individual's own beliefs around money and how a lot of young physios especially can be quite idealistic about how physiotherapy works and a lot of putting your own monetary values onto other people's care. And so really solidly good physio is about providing people with enough physio to get to the end of their rehab. Whereas a lot of junior physios really have this attitude towards, I'm not a good physio if I can't get them better in the least number of appointments possible. And that can be really damaging for a business as well because you put all your money into recruiting patients and they're seen once or twice, which is rarely enough. Sometimes it is. It's rarely enough to really get something under control for someone. And then they see someone once or twice and say, oh, see how you go, which are like the the death knell words for (laughs) physio. So like instant gratification, like if we can fix you in one or two, we've done our job and, you know, you're on your way. But that's not necessarily how human bodies work. No. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) You've said that your goals, that you're in a growth period right at the moment. What are your goals for the next year? Like what are your top level goals? I would like to, like from my own personal point of view, from the business management point of view, having better systems in place so that we have like more consistent revenue across the year, being able to sit back and hopefully look at some of the results from the efforts that I've put in this year because this year really has been, a lot of this year has been a solid grind to keep everything going and finding that balance of being able to actually consistently have those smaller number of clinical hours so I can be doing all the work on the business side of things and doing some work with the team as well around how we have more consistent patient numbers. So I think the biggest thing for us is looking at how can we make sure that we are actually providing the best level of service with the best outcomes from our clients so that we've got potentially one more session per patient, but that that comes from better communication from us around what we need to be able to get those really good outcomes for people so that things aren't recurring. I always say I want someone to come back to the clinic in three years time because they got such a good outcome last time that they haven't needed to come back and it's something completely different that they've come back for or something in their lives has changed and that's why the injuries flared up. Not that we did kind of a three quarters but not quite their job that didn't follow through on the tail end and that six months later they're like, oh, this is still niggling along. 
the risk with that is not only that people go somewhere else, not back to us again, which often is more expensive for the patient because then they have to start again. Whereas with, you know, if it's just a reactivation of something, often it doesn't take as many sessions because we know a lot about it already. But also the, there's a bit of a risk to the profession as well. If people are not getting better, you know, there's a lot of options out there for who you go and see. And so it's about the reputation of the profession as a whole, as well as the reputation of our clinic. Yeah, totally. I love it. I love it. I've had a lot of people on this podcast and this is one of the conversations that we talked quite a lot about numbers, data, data, analytics, finances, all that kind of stuff. And I just love that you've dived deep into that. As we finish off, what would be your advice for other people who have their own practice or have their own business? I think the numbers stuff is vital. I see so many people who don't even know how much their physio needs to bill to cover their expenses for the business. Or they think, oh, my physio is billing fine because they're covering their wage. And I'm like, well, have you actually looked at their super and what they have to earn if they've taken four weeks of leave and things like that? So I think that higher level thinking about the numbers is important, but from an actual like how do you survive it all without going crazy, it's (laughs) having people around you who understand business. So I've got a couple of different networks in that. One of that is my Thriving Women network that there's just, you know, that people get it. And the thing I love about Thriving Women that I don't necessarily get from my other little team of people is that it's not just physio specific. And so sometimes the ideas are different and that's a good thing because as health professionals, we're very good at just doing the same thing over and over again. We're not necessarily particularly innovative in business. The people who are do really well, but not everyone is. And there's a lot of clinics out there that just function the same. Yeah, I love that. What I'm hearing you say is it's about getting the right people around you to support you. It's about community, but diverse enough community that it's not all same, same. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for all your wisdom on Tea with the Queen today. I hope that those people listening kind of have a little thing in their head where they're kind of ticking through. Do I know my financials? Do I know my analytics? How's my hiring process? You know, like all the checklists that go through. And thank you for being so honest with us because I think that's what we need at this point in life, right? Business ownership is hard and it sometimes is easy, (laughs) but more than not, it's hard. (laughs) It it has its moments of being great, but it's, it's still a job. Yeah, totally. Beautiful. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much for your time on Tea with the Queen. It's been wonderful to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Tea with the Queen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help to get the word out. For more about me, please visit emmamcqueen.com.au and I look forward to your company next episode. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.